How are y'all? You getting ready for uh, Thanksgiving? Maybe? I don't know. Dessert auction. Getting ready. Right answer. <laughs> we got some great things cooking up this, this holiday season. It's so hard to believe that it's, it's here and coming around the corner, but it is. And uh, God is good. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Well, let's get started. We've had uh, two weeks now in Romans. This is week three, and we've been doing our, um, our Bible study on Wednesday nights, and so I want to encourage you that um, on Sunday mornings, it's definitely kind of an overarching kind of thought process. I don't go through every single verse, every single portion. But uh, so Sunday mornings is kind of a broad brush. And then Wednesday nights, we really get down to the nitty gritty. So I want to encourage you to come out on Wednesday nights. The, we are recording Wednesday nights, however, as well. So if you want to buy the, the CD series on Wednesday nights, you certainly can. But being there is way better. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's do this. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord God, I just ask you right now to come down and Speak through me, Lord God. I pray for clarity. I pray that the next 30, 40 minutes is just filled with your spirit. Woo us, O Father. Help us to understand you. Help us to get this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Helper, Lord. That's what you're supposed to say. Everybody said, Amen. Okay, so quick, quick review. Quick review. Number one, that we learned a couple weeks ago that God loves us incredibly. You are his object of affection. You are the one that he's chasing after. He has his eye on you. He has his, his heart set on who you are and where you are. And, you know, you might be sitting here thinking, you know, there's a whole room of people. And there's not just a whole room of people. There's a whole world of people. No, God is God and he is completely capable of loving you. He's completely capable of knowing you. And he's completely capable of looking at you and singling you out and telling you that you are the object of his affection. That's our God. That's our God. And he loves you. He loves you with a perfect love. And not only that, he desires relationship with you. That is the big deal. He desires relationship. Because if, he love, if you love someone, don't you kind of want to get near them? Don't you want to spend time with them? That's God with you. He desires relationship with you. Now, when we are near God, and uh, we're, so I gave you kind of an illustration. So um, last week, I, I kind of gave this illustration. So I want to just... Mention it one more time, Cyril. All of our brains are in the same place. Um, so let's take it into our family, the Wolf family. So I love my kids. They are an object of my affection. I love them dearly. And uh, we brought them into this world. And, and before they came into this world, actually, we, we built a house. And I got rooms and beds and all sorts of things pulled together. I've got a kitchen. And it's filled with food and, uh, and all this wonderful, wonderful stuff. And then we start popping up babies. We had these four babies. And we brought them home to our beautiful home. They were the object of my affection. I absolutely loved my babies and still do. And uh, so this is kind of like 
a, a picture of God and us. And he, he created us and he brought us into this amazing world prepared for us and, and set up perfectly for us. Everything available that we need is in this world right here and right now. And uh, so I brought these kids into the, into the world. And, and as they grew up in my house, they started to learn my ways, right? So when they would come home from school, I gave the, the illustration that when they came home from school, I kind of taught them because in our home, our home is very special and very wonderful place. And, and there's certain things that if, if, if things happen in our home, it's going to harm our home. Our home's not going to be as good as it was. And, and so when they come through the door, I want them to take their shoes off because I don't want the dirt in my house, right? And then when they come through the door, so they take their shoes off and they jump up. Then, then the next rule is that they needed to run in and put their, hang their backpack up and their coats up because a house full of backpacks and coats are a mess, right? And then the next thing they needed to do is to wash their hands because I don't want disease, you know, the, the kids get into every day at school. I don't want that coming in the house because that would harm our house. Our home won't be nice and good. It would be, it would be sick, right? If they don't wash their hands. So they, they wash their hands. And, and so there's certain cultures and certain, certain things that happen inside of our home that is because that's me. This is, this is the stuff I love. This is how I work. This is how I roll. Well, it's the same with God. So he brought us into existence and we were living in Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they were living in the garden that was perfectly set up for everything. And then God's culture was involved there. So within God's culture, God's culture is a culture of love. It's a culture of holiness. It's a culture of wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And there was one thing that God said to not do, that that we're going to not do. And we're going to talk more about this next week, actually. So I don't want to get too deep. But don't eat of that tree over there, okay? Don't eat that tree. But you can eat everything else. But because God said that, what he did was he put a choice before man. So that our love for God could be expressed through choice, our free will, right? And so as long as they obeyed and they, they chose God, they chose to do what was right, then all was well. And they lived very, very closely with God. Very, very closely with God. But eventually, the enemy came in Genesis 3, and he began to sow doubt in their hearts. And they, he said, what, what, did, did God really, really say that? Did God really say that? And Adam and Eve's hearts that were so attuned with God, for some reason they started listening, and they started, their hearts shifted a little bit like, well, ah, 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 and a thing called doubt seeped in. And as soon as doubt was able to shift their heart, then they reached out and took the fruit and sinned. And when they did that, they fell. They fell. Their hearts were disengaged from God and they fell. Their hearts, their internal connect with God was broken and they fell. But when they fell... So our internal was broken. But when they fell, they still remembered God's ways. They still remembered God's culture of holiness. They still remembered what they should and shouldn't do because God had etched it in their hearts. And Romans says that every man has God's word and ways etched in their hearts. And it's called a conscience. 
So now we're separated from God internally. And we have this external understanding of how God wants us to behave. We shouldn't shoot people. We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't steal. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do that. We've got this, this memory of how holy God is. But we're so far from him. We're so far. So now we find ourselves internally so distanced from God. Yet we have this understanding of how God wants us to behave and what is good and what is bad. And, and we're, we're in this tension because the external holiness of God is a very heavy burden to bear when we are not connected with him internally. God is crying out for his beloved objects of affection. We are crying out for our father God. We know that there's something bigger and better in life. We know that there's purpose. We know that there's destiny woven into our souls. But yet we have this inability to, 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 to what is it? What is it? Where is it? How? God is crying out. God is perfect. We are imperfect. God is righteous. Righteous is a big word for just saying he's right. He's right. I am unrighteous, which is a big word of saying that I'm pretty much wrong. Unright. I am he's right and I'm unright. He is holy. And I am imperfect. Even on my best day, I'm not quite perfect. Anybody else in the room? It's kind of like I clean my kitchen perfectly. There is not one crumb on my counter. Not one. And if a crumb, you know, somebody comes in and washes their dish or whatever and leaves a little drip of water even. Now, all of a sudden, it's not perfect anymore, right? Well, in the same way, God is so completely holy that if we were to come to him in and of ourselves, just us, on our very best day, cleaned up and washed up and perfect and just, we would still come into his presence and not be quite holy. Therefore, God's presence would not be holy anymore, and it wouldn't work. See, everything we try to do to be our very, very best, I'm sorry to say to you, your good best day is not near good enough. We can't get there on our own. We can't. I have this visual image of God where we used to be, us, We're like, and then other people are like, forget it. There's no way. And so they're overdoing their own thing. But once again, God, you are his object of his affection. And you are his biggest desire to be close to. He doesn't like this situation any more than you do. Therefore, he has done the most amazing thing. 
He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, part of him. God, the Father, the God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. He sent. There was no way that we could get out of this mess. So he sent his son to come down and live in our mess. To live in this situation where there was brokenness and imperfection. And there was all these rules and regulations of how that we are supposed to live for God and his holiness. And he came down and for the very first time, a human being succeeded. He did it perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. The Bible says it's the wages of sin is death. Every single one of us has sinned. Therefore, we deserve death. Jesus didn't sin. He did not deserve death. He did not deserve death. He could have kept living. For I don't know how long. I don't know what would have happened. Because death had no hold on him even when he was alive because he was able to do everything so perfect and holy. Does that make sense? So Jesus Christ, perfection, lived in our broken, suffering, filled with disease world. And he lived. And he didn't have to die. He climbed up on a cross, though, and took every single sickness and disease and evil upon him and died. So now we pick it up in Romans, okay? I want you to open up to Romans 3. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for wanting to know more about the Lord. Thank you for seeking after him. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of the body today. I'm just going to do this all in NIV. Okay, back there. So Romans 3, verse 21. So Paul has spent now two and a half chapters talking about the fact that we are so broken and so far from a holy God. And now he says in verse 21, but now. A righteousness from God apart from the law. Now, the law is that God culture stuff, that that stuff we know we're supposed to be doing all the time. That stuff that we know that, you know, don't lie and don't steal and don't cheat and and don't, don't be naughty, okay? Apart from doing all the, those things right, because you can't, we always end up on the naughty side, the naughty list. But now a rightness, a righteousness, a rightness, becoming right again, unwrong, un, unright, becoming right. I shouldn't do that to myself, should I? But now a righteousness, a rightness from God apart from the law has been made known. To which the law and the prophets testify this rightness from God comes through what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Everybody say faith Faith. in Jesus Christ. See, there's this thing here that that he starts talking about that he hasn't really talked about much. There's this word. It's it's a, what is it, a five-letter word? Yep, five-letter word. It's called faith. Through faith 
in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fallen very short of the glory of God and are justified now freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. Then uh, skip down to verse 27. Where then is boasting? Is, it is excluded. On what principle? On the observation of the law? In other words, doing everything right? Working really hard down here to be everything I could possibly be to be perfect? Is that where I sit? No. But on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Faith. Faith. Now, if you sit in church for any amount of days, you're going to hear about faith. And faith is, is a very, very common used thing. And I want to make faith, the word and the concept faith, come alive to you today. I want it to become something very vibrant. I don't want, I want to take it out of the mundane. I want to take it out of the hundred thousand times you've heard the word faith. And I want it to begin to be quickened to life inside of you. Because in reality, faith is probably one of the most important things. And scholars say that um, Martin Luther, as he went through and he um, totally renovated the, the Catholic Church and reformed things, he said himself, he said himself that if this verse is not right, then we all just need to go home right now. That we all just need to go home. Because how am I down here in this broken place going to get up to God in heaven and holiness? How can I do that? I can't do it by being perfect. Anybody in the room perfect. That's a hard, hard, hard life to live. It is a heavy, burdensome life to live. And most people in America have set that life aside because it's just too hard. And so they don't know what to do with themselves. And so they try to decide, okay, there is no God. I can't please him. So there is no God. I'm going to live like there isn't one because it's too hard to live to please him. So the vast majority... Of let's just say America, but I think human, not vast majority, but a huge piece of America, of our neighbors, have just got, God, you're, I can't figure you out. You're too harsh. But I want to show you something here. So how does rightness, apart from the law and me doing everything right, working really hard, how does that work? How does that work? What do I have to do? How do I engage that kind of relationship? It's through faith. Rightness through the law means to be good enough to make it back into God's graces. And we can't. He's holy. He's perfect. But rightness through Jesus Christ requires faith. Romans 4 now is our primer on what faith is. So those of you who are taking... Notes, I want you to write this down very quickly. Faith is an equation. And I'm going to give you that equation right now. Faith is, God says it, and then put an equal sign, I believe it. God says it, 
I believe it. God says it, I believe it. God says it, I believe it. That's faith. That is faith. And the Lord's words through here through Romans is that your way, you, broken humanity, your way into the presence of God is through faith. That's all you got to do. You don't have to do a single thing on the external. What he wants is your heart. Remember Adam and Eve's heart with God shifted through doubt and separated away. What God is calling us now through faith is to hear God's word, hear what he says, hear what he is, hear where he's at, hear his heart, and turn our heart away from doubt to belief. And that's called faith. That's all he wants. That's all he wants. You do that, and you become righteous in his sight. How does that work? How does that work? Wait a minute. Wait a minute, that, 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 that's, that doesn't compute. What about all the evil stuff I've done? What about, and you know, I don't know. There was a time, and I'm just saying, there was a time we had somebody sitting in, in the sanctuary here that had actually killed somebody. That's pretty bad. But it's the same for him as far as God's concerned. If he will shift his heart away from doubting God and running from God and, and shifting his heart towards God and just believe what he says, He's righteous. He's righteous. He's righteous in God's eyes. And now I am here to say to you people, this is such an amazing thing. There's nothing you can do to make yourself more righteous. More right. Because he's looking inside of your heart and he's, he's saying things and he said things and he is things. And, and he's looking at you and he's, he's not... Judging you on what you're doing on the outside. I don't care how you cut your hair. I don't care how you, you know, what car you drive, what clothes you have on. I don't care about all these things first and foremost. All I want to know is your heart is shifting away from doubt and into belief in me. If you will do that, if you will do that one thing. Your entire eternity has shifted now. Simple. It's so simple. It's so simple. Belief in what God says. It is so simple. And he goes on and on in this passage about how you can't do a single thing. Just believe in Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, to believe in Jesus Christ means that you are shifting away from other things. I am got to run here. We got to keep moving. So why is it faith? Why can't I work hard at this? Because, you know, working hard is actually something I can look and touch and feel, taste. I can make my punch list. I can do my things. I can get up in the morning and and know what I'm supposed to do and go to bed at night. Did I do it? Yep, yep, yep. Mm, Not quite so much. Mm, Yep, yep, yep. I, I can have my list of things, and I work better with lists. How many are list ladies in here? 
List men. I'm turning all the men, wolf men, into list men at our house. I am a list lady. Give me a list. I want to be able to mark it off. I want to be able to feel at night like I'm something good. I want to be able to know that I know that I know that I'm good. Why can't I do that? And then, you know, like kind of measure how things are, you know. It's a good day, bad day. No. Let's move on. Chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say about Abraham? Well, where is Abraham coming in here? We're talking Romans. And now we're talking Abraham. What then shall we say about Abraham, our forefather, and what he discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by his works, the things that he did every day when he got up and went back to bed, he had something to boast about. See how good I am? See my list? I'm pretty good. But not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited him to to righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. The word credit there is an actual accountant word. And he has two columns. There's Abraham has a righteous column and a not right column. A right column and a not right column as far as Jesus is concerned. And if Abraham is going to live his life as to what he's doing every day. And if he's doing things well enough. He's going to have stuff on both sides. But as soon as Abraham... And I'm going to show it to you. Decided to believe God. God went righteous. Let's read something here about Abraham. I want you to turn over to Exodus. I want you to start in chapter 12. We're going to do this as fast as we can. You're going to be blown away. Are you ready? If you look at chapter 11, there's a big, huge list of people that go from Shem. Shem is Noah's son. When Noah and his wife and his three sons and three sons' wives got into that ark and the flood came, wiped out everybody else, the only people living on the face of the earth after that flood. And let me tell you something, every single cultural people group has an ancient story of a flood. Every single one. All of archaeology shows and points to a worldwide flood. If you want me to prove this all to you, I'll have to teach another class. But just know, it's right. There was a flood. Seven people get off that ark. Those sons all had children, 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 children. And for 400 years, they're populating the earth, and they're populating it very well. One of those sons is named Shem, and the verse and chapter 11 here goes through all that. All of these people, all of these generations pass along knowledge, oral tradition about who God is. By the time Abram is born in chapter 12, he has an idea in his head about who God is, but he doesn't have a relationship with him. He doesn't know who God really is, but he knows the externals. He knows what he should be doing. He knows all of that kind of thing. So we pick it up at verse 1 verse of chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram. So Abram's just going about his day like every other day. But all of a sudden, God says something to him. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country and your people and your father's house and go to the land I will show you. He gives him a direction. Then he he gives him this big couple of verses here of a huge promise. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God shows up in a moment of time, looks at him and says all this. And Abram is like, what? Can you imagine? 
So verse 4. So Abraham left. Abram, sorry, we haven't changed his name yet. Abram left. So we're going to just end it right there. God said it. Gave him some direction. Gave him a huge promise. And what did Abram do? Not yet. Doesn't say believe. He did. He did. He went and did it. The Bible doesn't say he believed. He did it. He just obeyed. He did it on the outside. He did everything on the outside. So Abram did. Now flip over. Chapter 13, verse 14. A bunch of stuff has happened. All of a sudden, the Lord comes to Abram again. Abram said to, uh, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are. Look to the north, the south, the east, and the west. All the land that you see, I will give it to you and your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring will be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So God gave him direction and another promise. Direction and another promise. What does Abram do? So Abram moved. He obeys. He does. But there's no word in here that says anything about where his heart is at. He just does on the outside what he knows to do. We don't know what's going on in Abram's heart. Is he thinking, man, this is really weird. I don't know, man. I don't know. Well, you know, I don't know. He said it. So, you know, I got to do it. I don't know. I don't know. So let's turn over now to chapter 15. Now, remember, he's got two promises going now. He's got the promise that he's going to be the father of many nations. In other words, he's going to have a bunch of kids. Everybody say, bunch of kids. You see the kids that were dedicated today? Times that times a million trillion, and that's what he's going to have, right? Somewhere in there. And he's also going to have a lot of land. Does he have kids and land yet? Absolutely not. It's been many years. So, chapter 15, verse 2, Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant of my household will be my heir. See, he didn't believe necessarily. He's looking around going, what in the world? It ain't happening. Then the word of the Lord came to him and, and God said to him, this man will not be your heir for your son is coming from your own body and will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up into the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them then he said to him so shall your offspring be he gave him another humongous uh, promise now what did abram do he believed now all of a sudden he believed he engaged his head it happened it clicked on the inside of his head where he went okay God is speaking to every single one of you. He's calling you. He's giving you promises. He's talking to you. He's giving you directives. And maybe some of you are kind of doing it on the outside. But there is a moment in time where your heart shifts and it believes. And it says it has faith. It steps into a new realm. It steps into a new relationship. Now, no longer is it all this external stuff, but now it's internal. My heart is going to turn towards God. I am going to believe. Now, let me tell you what that word believe here is. It means very, uh, quite a few things. So it believes to trust, uh, to believe means to trust. It means to be quiet, but it also means the right hand to go towards the right hand. And I was like, what does that have to do with anything? 
When Abram believed, the, the word believe means he went to the right hand. So what is the right hand? The right hand is where all the strength lies. All the, most people are right-handed. Raise your hand if you're right-handed. Was that your right hand you raised? How many here are left-handed? There's a few. Okay, put your hands down. You're the, you're the strange ones. We'll just leave it at there. We're going to go with the right-handed ones, okay? I have one left hand, lefty in my house. Where was, where'd he go? Right there. I have one lefty. It means to go to the right hand. The right hand in the Old Testament times area, it signified strength and blessing and sovereignty and authority. See, what happened in Abram's mind is he shifted something. He shifted something. He thought about God. He looked around and he said, you know what? God is pretty strong. He's telling me all these things that are happening and that are supposed to come my way. And I am going to finally look at him and go, okay, I don't, I can't. I'm a hundred years old. I can't have a baby. My wife is whatever she was. She can't have a baby. You keep telling me all this stuff. I can't make it happen. I can't do it on the outside. I am going to have to shift my heart and look at you and say, only you. That's what faith is. Only you. And it's not just going, okay. It's looking at God at his right arm. Looking at his strength. Looking at his ability. Looking at him as being much bigger than me. Much stronger than me. Much more capable. Much more everything. And going, okay, God, I believe you because you could do it. You could do that. I can't. You can. Psalm 118, shouts of joy and, this is verse 15, shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the right ones. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. Where are you looking when God gives you a promise and when you're thinking about him and everything? Are you looking at him, his right arm? Like this? Or when you look at him and he says these things, do you think in your mind, yeah, I sure wish. Wouldn't it be nice? Well, if I better start working harder. Maybe I should figure this out. Maybe I need to. No, God says, stop it. All I want you to do is shift your mind to consider my right arm. And that only through my right arm can this happen. You can't get close to God. You can't do it on your own. God knows that. We're very separated. He sent his son to die for you. I don't know how or why. Do you understand all of that? I don't. Understanding God is like shoveling Mount Rainier into a pillowcase. I've said it a hundred times. I don't understand it. But God has set it in motion in a, to a situation where nothing you can do will ever work. All you have to do is believe that what Jesus did is more than enough 
to erase everything that you have done and are doing and will do. And he is enough. And if you will shift your mind and your focus to Jesus Christ and the power of God to make you righteous on the inside, he will make you and he will take you from your fallen place and he will take you from your broken place and he will take you and he will reach down and grab you and he will pull you immediately up into his heart. And you are now seated in heavenly places. I can't tell you how it works. I can't show you how it works. It has nothing to do with how you work. All you have to do is shift your mind from doubt to belief. And now, if you will do that, if you will accept Christ as your personal savior, and if you will put your belief and your strength in him, looking at his right arm. See, so many times we look at our own right arm. Let's see, I'll try, I got this. pretty good, I can do this, I can do this. And we get to think, and it's all about us, and I'm not good enough, and, I, I, and we start, we do something wrong, and, and, and we're in shame, and we're guilt, and we run away from God, and God says, no, run to me. Let me take you into my lap. Let me wash you off. Believe in Jesus. Bring your heart to me through the blood of Jesus. And we can be together. I don't care. The true question is, will you believe him? Will you believe him? So let's keep reading here. Go back to Romans. Therefore, the promise, this is verse 16. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are under the law and who understand everything about God and understand about everything you're supposed to do and do it, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. See, Abraham did a lot of things, but the moment he believed God is the day that everything changed. He came into a life of righteousness with God. He is the father of us all. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Where is his many nations? His many nations that are now uh, call Abraham our father are those who believe. He is our father in the sight of God in whom, he, in whom that he believed. God is the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they are. He looks at you in the deadness of your sins and he says, I give you life. It's God's prerogative to give life. There's not another way to get life. We cannot make life happen. We've tried and tried and tried in the, in the scientist laboratories trying to make life come forth. We have never been able to make life come forth. There's only one way to get life to come from dead things and that's through the power of God being released. And he's looking at you and saying, you are dead in your trespasses and your sins. And then you're just trying to be as good as you are. I'm sorry, but you're dead. But I want to call life into you. Just come to me and believe in me. He calls life 
into things that are dead and cause those things that are not as though they were. So Abraham, against all hope, in hope, believed. That's all he had to do was believe. He just had to shift. And so he became the father of many nations. Just as has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith. I'm telling you what, what's the easiest thing in the world is just to believe. But I'll tell you what, what is the hardest thing in the world to do? I think it's easier for me to work hard than to just stop and believe. I would rather work hard. Give me my list. But Abraham couldn't do anything more. He had to just rest. He had to just believe. And he couldn't stop believing. For 25 years, he couldn't stop believing. He couldn't let his belief waver. I believe for about two hours and I start wavering. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. And since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. In other words, the life of Christ does not call the things that are as though they are not. Sometimes we think we, if we're sneezing and coughing and hacking up hairballs because we're sick, we can't say it because we're not in faith. That's called Scientology. The reality is not reality. Abraham looked at his own body and said, I'm dead. I can't do this. God calls those things that are not as though they are. Not the things that are as though they are not. I'm not asking you to deny your present reality. I'm not asking you to deny what's really going on in your world. I'm not asking you to deny a thing. What I am asking you to do is turn your heart towards God. And what does God say about that thing? And start engaging there. Engaging your heart there. And then what God does then is he can reach down into what is and change it into what it is not yet. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. He got stronger in his faith. He didn't waver. He didn't, he didn't waver. He got stronger. Adam and Eve had a promise from God. Satan comes along and whispers, eh, you know, and they went, oh, they wavered. Humanity has wavered every day since then. Until Abraham And New Horizon 2017. Being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. There's our ticket. If you aren't fully persuaded that God's right arm is big enough to do whatever's in front of you. If you aren't fully persuaded that God's right arm is not strong enough to forgive you of your sins. If you're not fully persuaded that God is big enough to bring this entire world to its knees before him. If you're not persuaded that God is his right arm is not big enough to provide for you. If you're, not, if you're not persuaded that his right arm has enough power in it to do the things that he says he's going to do in your life. And remember, he's the one that said it, not you. You didn't make it up. He said it. Then in your ear over here comes that me, 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 me. Well, maybe not. Maybe. And hurts come in and things happen and our hearts shift. God says it, I believe it. It's supposed to be easy. It is easy. 
It is very easy. I want the band to come. I want the lights to go down. I want everyone to stand. I'm seven minutes over. I hope you don't mind. We have done a lot today in church. Church at New Horizon is good. We've had amazing worship. We dedicated some amazing babies. And we've heard some great preaching from the Lord. Because it's his word. But I want this song to sing, and I, I want us to be thinking right now. And I want the, the prayer team to come up forward. Once again, internal versus external. I keep hammering on this. The first half of Romans is your internal heart state. You are the object of his affections. You are the most delighted thing in his eye. You are the apple of his eye. You are the sparkle of his eye. You. You are called to be close to him. You are called to walk very close to him, close to his heart, close to his spirit, close to who he is. God calls you and talks to you, tells you things. The first thing, though, he ever tells you is that he loves you. And you have a choice. You can respond or you can turn away. You can have faith or you can have doubt. And I want to challenge you right now to be considering your heart on the inside. Are you willing to believe? Are you willing to believe? Just believe. It's simple. Are you willing to believe? I could give you all the proofs in the world, but eventually it comes down to the fact. Are you willing to believe? Are you willing to believe that Christ's blood is enough to set you in a right place with God? Are you willing to believe that he loves you so much? Are you willing to believe that he's got a plan for you? Are you willing to believe that he will forgive any sin you have ever and will ever commit? Are you willing to believe that? It causes us. See, the reason why faith is so important is because it causes us to draw near to him. If we're allowed to do it on our own, we can do it on our own. We don't need to be close to God. But God's made it that everything you could do doesn't work. We just have to nestle in. We just have to believe. We just have to move closer to him. We just have to turn our ear to him. We just need to turn our heart to him. We just need to turn our spirit to him. And now he gets the very thing that he's desiring of us, and that is relationship. Some in this room, where's my prayer team? Come on up, prayer team. Some in this room have kind of turned their heart away from God. For whatever reason. I don't know. Maybe a hurt. Maybe a frustration. Maybe an irritation. Maybe just personal. You know, I want to do this on my own. I want to do this on my own. I'm good. Me, daddy. I try to help my kids tie their shoe. No me. No me. Dad's try. God's trying to help you. You're like, no me. No. God's calling us right now. Just will you turn your heart to him? Will you believe? Amen.
If that's you, if you feel like you have been dealing with doubt, unbelief, negativity, I want you to come on up. Let's get some prayer. Let's get some prayer. Let's get some faith moving. Come on up for prayer.